All right, this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 3. That's where we're going to start. We're going to look at the lectionary readings for today, second Sunday in ordinary time. We're going to look at the, the readings, if you do not know them, it's 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3 to verse 10, and then verse 19. Then we have Psalm 40. We, we, we will skip that, at least initially. The, uh, the epistle reading is from uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, and the gospel reading is John chapter 1, 35 through 42. Now, we're going to read this. Our job is to try to figure out kind of what they're trying to do and what they're trying to say. The more I have read it, the more I've just tried to consider it, I think, at least in my mind, the direction we're going to go is we're going to talk about God's revelation. Now, the only I, I maintain the right to change my mind as we read it this time, okay? I may change my mind, but I'm trying to figure out what's going on. The, the, uh, yeah, we'll just read it. And you, if you figure out what's going on, by all means, you know, I like to have you involved. So are you ready? Here we go. First Samuel chapter three. We spent the entire first hour on first Samuel chapter three, but we primarily focused on the verses not in the lectionary, which was verse one, verse two, and verse 3a. They want us to start what they refer to as verse 3b, which means the very last part of it, which is that Samuel is in the temple and he's doing what? He's sleeping. Samuel is asleep in the temple. Then verse 4, Then the Lord called Samuel and answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou calledest me. And he said, I called not. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel and Samuel arose, went to Eli and said, here am I, for thou didst call me. And he, and he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Verse seven, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him, which, well, we could, we could have, we could go back to the first hour and have a long discussion about that first. We did not bring that into the discussion, but I think it goes with a lot of the things we talked about in the first hour, but we'll skip that for now. Verse eight, And the Lord called unto Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant Heareth. Then they want us to skip all the way down to verse 19. And verse 19, we read what? And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and he did let none of his words fall to the ground. Immediately we see a contrast, do we not? Samuel is not letting what happens to God's word. None of it fall to the ground. First Samuel 3 starts about how the word of God is rare. Nobody's hearing it. There's no open vision. Samuel is grabbing everything and not letting it fall to the ground. So we see that contrast. We could build on it, but we can't for, for this hour. Right? There's that one. Now, we're going to skip the psalm. Now, the next one seems somewhat out of place. This is the one that kind of caught me off guard. First Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Now, before we read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay, for those who are listening for the first hour. Now, it's, this is so difficult for, I don't know why the lectionary left out verse 1, 2, and 3. I don't know why. 
Because as soon as you read verse 1, 2, and 3, and we start talking about the spiritual condition of Israel at that time, right? And then you, then you realize that the first epistle reading is in 1 Corinthians. You, om- you almost want to say, well, duh, now we know why the two were put together, right? Because 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church located in a city where, and I'm going to change the way we typically say it, the church was more spiritually dark than the city, okay? Remember, because we talk about how the city was influencing the church more than the church was influencing the city. The church was a mess. So you're like, oh, I can see the correlation. But they don't, they don't grab from that part of it. So let's, let's see what they do in 1 Corinthians 6. What are they going to speak of in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Right? They want us to read which verse? They want us to start in verse 13. They want us to read 13 through 15. All right? Everybody see it? All right? And here, here we go. Uh, well, we could, well, there's more that we could go under, but all right, or more that we could read, but here we go. Verse 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, it, it seems odd. Now, just, we've got to stop right here. Does that not seem weird to have that after just reading 1 Samuel? Like, we just read about, about Samuel. Like, oh, God, is that you? Okay, hey, hey, okay. All right, Lord, I'm listening. Okay, then he won't let any word do what? Fall to the ground. I think that's a key phrase. I think that's a key phrase, right? He, he grabs onto it. And then the next thing you know, we're reading about, about the meats for the belly and the belly for the meat, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication. Now remember, fornication refers to what? Okay. Sexual immorality in general, just in general, right? We tend to, we tend to reduce it to what? Sex before marriage is typically is how we, we typically separate it. But the word seems to just refer to all forms of sexual immorality. In fact, everyone look up the Greek word really quick. Just look up really quick. Well, just, I know we're supposed to just be reading the lectionary. You see why I can't read the lectionary? You see why I can't? Right? It's just, man, there's just so much. But I love the puzzle. I love trying to put the puzzle together. There's a certain Greek word. I think it's this Greek word used here. I could be wrong. Pernea, pernea, right? And it means? Harlotry. Okay, right. So, that immediately, pornea, right? And you know what, what word we kind of pull from that? Pornography, okay, right? So sexual immorality. I do like the fact that even Strong's acknowledges it can also be, uh, there, there can be physical sexual immorality and there can be spiritual sexual immorality, right? That's, ve- that's very important to understand. I'm dropping my glasses, right? There can be both, right? Now, in this particular case, it's referencing which kind of sexual immorality? In this context, 1 Corinthians 6. Physical, right? Because it's referring to the body, right? I think it's referring to physical sexual immorality. But just please note, let's never forget, sexual immorality 
There is physical and there is, a, there is a spiritual. Adultery, there is physical and there is spiritual. I, I, I want to make sure we know the difference between the physical and the, There is the mental, right? There's mental spiritual, or there's mental sexual immorality. We all know that. So if you think about it, when it comes to sexual immorality, whether adultery or fornication, no matter what, there is physical, where you physically engage in it. There is mental right? And then there is spiritual. What's bizarre is, and we know this, and and, and nobody ever has a good explanation for this because I don't know what you do. Church discipline occurs for the physical. Sometimes it occurs for the mental. It's really weird how it occurs for the mental, right? Because it occurs for the mental when what happens? When somehow it becomes known, right? Which is really weird, right? Because it it comes like, if, if their mental is, in other words, they're pursuing something to feed the mental, right? Pornography or something like that. Something can happen, but it's real, real weird because 40 people could be sitting in the pews who've all committed the same sin mentally, but it won't. And, and it really, our, our, our dis- discipline is always, let's, let's be honest, let's be honest. This is not a church thing. If you are parents and you have lots of kids, right? For those of you who have big families, right? Okay. It's hard enough with two kids. Is discipline one of the most difficult things to be consistent in? Because almost inevitably, you will punish one kid and they'll be like, well, wait a minute. Why am I getting in trouble? Because so-and-so did this, 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 this. And you'll be like, and I don't know what parents say. In, I don't know what you parents say and have a million kids. I don't know. I don't know what you say. I don't know what, I don't know. I would That's got so many complications in it, I don't even know where to touch that. It's hard enough with two kids, right? It's hard enough with two kids because sometimes in your mind as a parent, you're thinking, well, situation is different. The situation calls for it. But someone on the outside may be going, that sounds like a cop-out. Like, you know, could you get consistent? It's hard being consistent. We know that. Consistency and rules, inconsistency and rules drives people crazy, Right? Inconsistency and rules, it shows up in school. I'll never forget all of the debates that we had in high school, right there at Jim Ned. Huge fights happened, right? Because it's the 80s. Girls, lots of girls wore mini skirts, right? I mean, mini, mini, mini skirts, right? You're like, you go sharp the pencil and turn around going, uh, maybe I'll back up to my table, right? Because you're like, this is not good. But so then we decided, well, if they can wear mini skirts, we can wear shorts. And we were wearing shorts that came much longer than their skirts. They came to our knee. And then guess what happened? I got expelled. <laughs> can someone explain this to me? We got called. So girls could have hair because there were a lot of Pentecostal girls at that time who went to school at Jim Ned. I always took up for them because they got picked on, even though I thought they were all crazy in their head. But their hair was like, it was like Rapunzel or whatever her name was. It was like dragging on the floor. It was so long, right? I mean, their hair was like so long. So uh, then uh, we were like, well, well, we'll grow our hair long. We get literally called to the cafeteria. They they have like a glass of water. They came behind the boys, took their hands, dipped it in water, grabbed our hair and pulled it down. And if it touched our collar, 
We were sent home. And they said, because long hair on a guy is, uh, makes, disrupts the class. What are you talking about? Got a, I got expelled for that. Those rules are the most inconsistent rules I've ever heard in my entire life. So when it comes to spiritual adultery, mental adultery, physical adultery, there's a lot of inconsistency the church has. A lot of inconsistency. It's insane. Now, uh, some people use the inconsistency because you know how this works at, uh, if you've got a lot of kids, right? If, if one perceives inconsistency, then their argument is always what? Down with all the rules! Lord of the flies, commence! Right? Like, they, they're ready for, like, just total, like, they should be able to do anything. Because you've been inconsistent once, then you have no right to give a rule ever again. Now, their inconsistency, <laughs> that's okay, right? That's fine, okay. All right. But the point is, inconsistency. It's hard to be consistent. So when we talk about this, just know the sexual immorality is, there's three, or, or any kind of immorality, there's three parts. What are the three parts? Just make sure you have them down. Mental, physical, and spiritual. And everyone is guilty of the spiritual one. Because what did they classify as uh, that this port pornea can reference? Idolatry. And all of us are guilty of idolatry, right? Because what's to be, what, what is required to be guilty of idolatry? Put anything before God, and we've all done that, right? All right, so let's continue reading. First, uh, First Corinthians chapter six, verse thirteen. If you guys would stop interrupting the reading of the lectionary scriptures, sorry. Okay, but we'll try. All right, here we go. Meats for the belly, the belly for three meats, but God shall destroy both the, both them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by His own power. All right. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. Right? Then I want us to jump to verse 17. But, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That seems like a million miles away from 1 Samuel, does it not? It really does. All right, let's go to the gospel reading. John chapter 1, verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35. Here we go. Are you ready? First John, or first John, John chapter 1, verse 35. Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looked, looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? And he saith unto them, Come and see. 
They, uh, see, do we want to go, how far did we, all the way, for verse 42. All right, come and see, they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus And when Jesus beheld him, said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. That's the gospel reading. All right. Y'all got your thinking caps on today? All right. Here we go. In the next five minutes, you're going to give me all the answers. We have three passages. We didn't even read the psalm, right? We have 1 Samuel 3. 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 John, or 1 John, John chapter 1. I don't know why I keep wanting to say 1 John. All right, well, the lectionary was in 1 John for a long time. All right, so out of those three, what do you see that connects the three passages? Okay, Samuel and John, you have someone being called. All right, very good. I think that's a good, that's a good correlation. How does that fit with 1 Corinthians? Oh, the church is called, okay. I don't know if the text doesn't necessarily say that in 1 Corinthians, but it's a good, it's a good, it's a good correlation. I like where you're going with that. What else? What else? All right, let me, let me try. Let me see if I can try, all right? I'm going to try to walk you through it. Tell me where, where I go wrong here. You ready? 1 Samuel 3. God reveals himself to Samuel. Agreed? Right? Because the text in 1 Samuel 3 talks about how there's not been any open vision. The word of God is precious. The word of God is rare. Samuel does not know the Lord. And God reveals himself to Samuel. And he reveals himself to Samuel. And what is Samuel's response to that revelation? Find the verse. We read it. I told you it was the key verse. He did not let... He did not let any of the words fall to the ground. In fact, what is the specific language? I I want to make sure we use exact language. Samuel let none of God's words fall to the ground. He let none. So there was, so here, there was a revelation. Are you ready? There was a revelation and there was a response. There was a revelation. There was a response. What was the revelation? Samuel. Samuel. What was the response? Eli gave him what the response was. What was the initial response? Speak, Lord, for your servant listens. His other response was, he did not let any of the words fall to the ground. So there was really two response, right? Hey, Lord, I'm here. I'm listening. I'm your servant. And I'm not going to let any of your words fall to the ground. Two responses. In John chapter 1, what do we have? We have a revelation, do we not? John stands up. That's John the Baptist. What does John say? His exact words were, look, the Lamb of God. Is that his exact words? The NIV? Okay. Who takes away the sins of the world? Okay, I want to make sure we got that, right? Behold, oh, well, and, and the King James says, behold the Lamb of God. It doesn't say take away the sins of the world here, okay? 
right? We'll make sure we're getting them exact. Does the NIV throw that in there? Oh, verse 29. Okay. All right. But remember, the, uh, the reading, though, is 35. Yeah. So all he says here is, behold the Lamb of God in 36. All right. So we want to make sure we're, we're correct. All right. All right. So he says, behold the Lamb of God. All right. So there's a revelation. Yes. Everybody get a revelation? What is the response? They followed him. Right? Then they seek, and then Jesus says, what? Seek ye. He says, come and see. They come and spend what? They, they, they abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ, and he basically says what? Come and see. So what is the response to the revelation? Following, seeking, listening, sharing. And that's a pretty good way of doing it, right? They follow. They seek more. They, they listen. They spend the day listening. And then they do what? Share it with someone else, or at least one of them shares it with someone else. He goes and gets his brother, does he not? So what do we have in 1 Samuel? What do we have in John? Revelation, response. Revelation, response. Revelation, response. Now, before we go to Corinthians, let me ask a question. When we say revelation, what do we mean by that, theologically speaking? What do we mean by the term revelation? Do I... God revealing something. Typically, we understand this. A revelation is God revealing something that we could not know otherwise. Right? God revealing something. But there's different kinds of revelation. Y'all know this, right? We've talked about this a million times in this church. Y'all should be experts on it, right? What is the first kind of revelation? Okay, well, okay, good. I was like, somebody has gone to this church has to know this. General revelation, right? Okay, even AI understood that. Remember, I told you I typed in revelation? General revelation. What is general revelation? This is the manifestation of God's existence and attributes found where? In the natural world or in creation. Through creation, God reveals his power, wisdom, beauty, the beauty of nature, the complexity of the universe, and the order of creation all point towards a creator. What two passages speak of general revelation in your Bible? Go! What two passages of Scripture speak of God's general revelation? Go. Well, you could argue Genesis 1, but I think there's one far better. Okay, I hope y'all never have to... Oh, Romans is a good one to go to, okay? Well, but before we get to Romans, we sing part of it. Oh, Psalm 19. Remember, Psalm 19 is broken into two parts. I'm going to look at Psalm 19. The second part is all about God revealing himself where? Scripture. The law, this, the law of the Lord is perfect. Remember, we sing it, right? We all sing it, okay? All right. All right. What's the first part of that psalm? Nobody knows the first part of that song. I, I've kind of given you a hint. It's got to be about creation, since that's what I'm talking about. So look at Psalm 19, starting in verse 1. 
Let me, I'll, I'll go to Psalm 19 really quick. I'll go to Psalm 19. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Here we go, here we go. The heavens, Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. What does verse 3 mean? No matter where you go on this earth, does not matter their race, does not matter where, what country you find yourself, doesn't matter their educational level, doesn't matter. If they have eyes, they can see and they can hear because all around them is creation and creation supposedly says what? There is a God. It doesn't say who that God is, but it screams. You can, you can act as smart as you want to be, but you go outside and you look around, you have to sometimes kind of be amazed that Hmm. Because you only got two options. One day it just exploded into existence. I mean, over a long period of time, right? But, or someone made it. And it's, I, I, look, it's, I can read all the scientific explanations in the world and they may sound great. They may sound smart. They may even have great observations found within that scientific evidence. The point is, it's hard for me to comprehend that in the beginning there was matter it just has always existed. We don't know how it got there. And it was all compressed into one point of singularity. I know this may be a little dated understanding. I know they constantly are changing it. I don't try to keep up with the constant changes of their theory. But the theory all, I mean, because basically you have nothing blew up and created everything. I mean, that's some have even been gone that far. There was literally nothing and it blew up. Or that everything existed, but it was all compressed to a point of singularity, right? And then at one day it, Boom! I know, I know, I know that's a very, I always hate explaining it because those who are scientific are like, you're just, you're creating a straw man and you're not being fair. Look, you can make it as complicated as you want, but when you boil it down, either nothing blew up or something blew up. But something blew up or it rapidly expanded or however you want to describe it. I know you can use more scientific terminology, but Boom! And then over this and this and this and this comes this and then this. I know there's millions of things that happen, but then ultimately we wake up one day and voila, here we are. All the complexities, millions and and look, now to be fair, they can mock us. Well, in the beginning you just have a God and he speaks it into existence and then there was a big boat, you put all the animals on the... I understand they can mock it just the other way. All I'm saying is, I have, at least in my mind, I have a hard time. Nothing plus no one equals everything. That's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Now, for them, it may be just as hard for them to wrap their mind around, well, someone creates everything. I understand. Someone equals everything. I understand that. All I'm saying is, I think when you look at creation, you should at least pause and go, hmm, how did it get here? Because how it got here could be an answer to why I'm here. Right? Yes? Right? Understanding how points you to the who and it may point to the purpose of. Does that make sense? All right, so Psalm 19 screams that, hey, that's general revelation. What other kind of revelation is there? Special. What do we mean by special revelation? 
Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a specific revelation. It's specific. And it's revealing something specific. Now, we know in the past, God revealed himself countless different ways, all kinds of different ways. How does Hebrews put it? Sundry's way or diverse ways, right? right? All these different ways, right? All these diverse ways, correct? And we see a little bit of that in their lectionary reading today, right? He spoke to Samuel audibly, right? That, that's, that's the special revelation. In John, in a sense, we have a kind of a special revelation. It's revealed to John that that's the Lamb of God. But the point, they're, the, porse, the person they're pointing to is Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate revelation of God because he is God in the flesh. So there's special revelation. So we have general and special. And special revelation typically involves not, not only those other ways of revealing, God revealing in dreams, visions, audibly, whatever, right? Uh, in Jesus Christ. It also points to Scripture is special revelation because God reveals himself specifically in his word. Now, those are revelations. Now, what did we talk about 1 Samuel and first and John 1? There was revelation and there was response. We are confronted with God's revelation every single day. Every time we go outside, we're confronted with general revelation. Every time we hear the word of God preached, we're confronted with Special revelation, and any time I read my Bible, I'm confronted with special revelation. The question is, what is our response to that revelation? That's where 1 Corinthians comes into play. Now go to 1 Corinthians 6. Because are we not confronted with a specific revelation that we may or may not like. First Corinthians chapter 6, starting verse 13. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Oh no, stop right there. That's kind of a revelation. What is that revelation telling us? The temporal, the material, will be destroyed. Right? Is that not what it's saying? The temporal, the fleshly, because we know what's going to happen to this world. Going to be destroyed. And there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. What's going to happen to our fleshly bodies? They're going to be destroyed and transformed into a a new body, a glorified body. First Corinthians is going to point that out, is it not? Right? So all of this is going to go away. Immediately what's being revealed, what is material, what what, what is material, what is fleshly is temporal. Very, okay, very, that's a revelation, ladies and gentlemen. That is a revelation that everything around us, the material, it's temporal. It's hard for me to comprehend that it's temporal. How do we live our lives? 
that this is it. This is now. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow I'm dead. Like, this is that now. I, everything is about the now, 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 now. And if, if things go wrong now, we feel like it's the end of the world because it's hard for us to see anything beyond the temporal. We elevate the temporal to almost the eternal. I've talked about it a million times. And it, 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 I always found it sad. I always found it depressing. I always found it discouraging. Right? You're in the military. People, their jobs become their identity. It becomes a who they are. You, I, you still see it. So, you know, you'll be driving around town and on, you know, there'll be a bumper sticker, you know, retired U.S. veteran, you know, Air Force veteran, because that's still their identity. I mean, like they've been out of the military for 30 years. They still got to let everyone know that they were in the military. It's like their identity. Like some people's identity is that their kids go to Texas A&M. They'll have that on their, or my kid was in the honor roll. It's like, that's their identity. People find their identity and most all of our identities are found where? In the temporal, right? We, we find our identity. And I've talked about it so many times. You, you, you go to work on a Monday and man, people get so upset and bothered and frustrated and blah, 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 and they act like that, that's, that all of life is that job. And sometimes you're just like, could you all calm down? Now, I know it's not the, the, the best way. Okay, so let me, let me add at least a, a statement here. I'm not saying you should go to work and go, hey, guys, none of this matters. It's all going to burn up anyway. I'm not saying you should go there. But then, uh, there's another part of you that should say, none of this ultimately matters. And I, and, and I always got myself in trouble with that because I, I think I greatly offended people. Because their life was that. And my life was like, I, I, I used to do this all the time. I taught my kids to do this and it never made Stacy happy, right? But if, if Stacy says something nobody likes, we would do this. Do you, do you see anybody? Do you see, do you see that we care? You see that we care? <laughs> we pull our eyes down to go, look, see, do you see anybody? Does anybody care? I don't care, right? There's no concern in my eyes, all right? Now, that's, you shouldn't do that to your boss, all right? But there's sometimes I'd be like, do I care? Do I care, right? And they'd be like, okay, you got to make rank, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this. And I'd be like, you, you got to go to the dining in. You got to go to the dining out. You got to go to the, 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 the hospital picnic. I don't care, right? It's not, it's, it's meaningless. It's, it's vanity of vanities, right? It's vanity. And so you would watch people dedicate 20 years of their military exp- life, you know, their, their adult life to the military, right? And you watch them work and they care and they got rank and they got, and they have in their office, Mr. Goodlett probably has one of these. In the office, you got their wall of fame, right? They got their medals. They got their certificates. They got everything. And you're just like, really? Okay, that's great. Great. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but I always found it depressing because sooner or later, they would have their retirement ceremony. Okay, they do their thing. I told them I didn't want a retirement ceremony. It caused major uproar, but I'm like, I don't want one. Because to me, it's meaningless, right? But all right. And, and then, so they do it. They get a cake. They get a flag, shadow box, whatever. Everyone's like, you're the greatest. Oh, we're going to miss you, right? Okay. Okay. Then they do that. And then I would always, then I always talk about it. I would run up to the second or third floor of the hospital and stand and I watch them walk out. They're carrying their stuff. 
Sometimes that we kind of stop and look back. And it's sad because that's 10. And maybe, you know, especially in the medical world, sometimes you're in the same place forever. 10, 15 years of their life inside that building. They got a box, a card, maybe some leftover cake. They walk to their car. And guess what? It's over. And about how long does it take for everyone in the unit to forget them, Mr. Goodlett? That you're, you, you go back and your office is gone. Like you, someone is in your office. Like I, I, I remember like, I, I haven't been back to the hospital in a long time because all my, I get my medical care now off base. But I would go back and it would, like that, that original, initially still felt good, right? They still like, hey, we got your back, you can come in. But then like you go back like, you know, a couple of months later and they're like, who are you? I'm like, who am I? You're sitting at my desk. Who am I? Call the hospital, the entire automated system. I wrote the script for her. What are you talking about? When you get that phone call from the hospital after your visit asking you those questions, I wrote those questions. You know what? They don't care. They don't care. I can go, I did this. Hey, all those digital medical records? I'm the one who came up with how to scan them into the system. Okay, do you think anyone cares? I can sit there and talk about all the things they did. It's irrelevant. They don't even know who I am now. But well, back in the day, they don't know who I am. I'm like, I, I, I was there almost my whole career. We don't care. It's over. It's done. It's done. So uh, this is, a, uh, and it's hard for us to, to comprehend that revelation, right? That, well, Meat for the body, body for meat, and both are going to be what? Destroyed. That's hard to comprehend, is it not? But it goes on to add one more revelation. We're running out of time. Right? Or another revelation. Okay, here we go. So that revelation is pretty depressing. Is it, do you find that revelation depressing or freeing? And you can be honest with you. Look, if you find it depressing, that's okay. I find it freeing. I find it free for me personally. Because I'm like, <laughs> suckers, you're all wrapped up in this. It's nothing. It's an illusion of significance. There's nothing here. You're playing games. It means nothing. It's all going to burn up. This house is condemned. The eviction notice has already been given. It's, there's no point. I find it free. Like, I'm not bound by your reindeer games. I don't care. Now, I wasn't always the best at doing, at communicating that because I think I greatly offended other people because that was their life. That was their life. When I, when I graduated from a community college of the Air Force with my degree in uh, uh, medical administration, they're like, you have to go to graduation. I'm like, I'm not going to graduation. They're like, you have to. I'm like, Why? It's my graduation. I don't care. I literally don't care. I'm like, it means nothing. You know what that, that, that means? If I wanted to go get a job at Hendricks Hospital, then it would mean something. Because I would need that diploma to say, yeah, I'm, I have a degree in medical administration. Put me in a good, good job. Like, or when I got my certificate for medical coding. That medical billing or whatever the case may be, it meant something because, that, but other than that, I don't care about placing, even my theological degrees, I don't even know where they all are. 
They're in a box somewhere. They're not hanging up. I could care less. It's a piece of paper. Now, if I was going to another church, I'd have to dig them all out going, oh, here's my degree in theology from this, and here's my degree in biblical studies from here, and here's my associates, and here's my masters, and here's my bachelors, and here's my second masters, and here's my second bachelor, whatever they, but other than that, I don't care. You know why? Doesn't mean anything. So to me, there's a freeing nature of that, right? There's a freeing nature of that. But you can, you can also, it can be somewhat depressing, right? Because you may want to go, but it means something to me. And it's okay if it means something to you. That's perfectly okay. I, I'm not here to argue about that. I'm just saying that revelation can be a little concerning, right? But then what's the next one? Starts with the word now in the King James. 1 Corinthians 6.13. The King James starts with the word now. Now the body is not for fornication but for the Lord. Now that's a revelation about what? A body again, right? So it tells us that the temporal is just going to be gone. That seems to be the implication, right? I know I, I know I cannot go greatly in depth there. And then the next part seems to say what? It gives the purpose of your body. What is your body for? Or what is your body not for? It's not for sexual immorality, it's for the Lord. Now, and now we can, everyone will get caught up on the sexual immorality part and want to talk about a million things related to sexual immorality. I think you're missing the point. It's another way of saying the previous statement. Your body is not for the temporal, it's for the eternal. Meaning, the body is ultimately going to be destroyed. But while you have that body, it is not for your own self pleasure, it is for something eternal. Meaning, your entire perspective is to be completely changed. And this is revelation. Now, what is our response to that revelation? My response to this revelation must mean, well, then I'm not going to grab onto this world. I'm not going to love this world. I'm not going to pursue this world. I'm not going to find my identity in this world. And then I'm going to take my body and I'm not going to use it for me. I'm going to use it for the Lord, in fact, what does the next part say? And God, and the Lord is for the body, and God hath both raised up the, uh, the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. There, there's the little key, right? Hey, hey, our body is for him, and ultimately it will be raised up for him. In other words, we think of it this way. We were made by him, for him, and we will end up with him. That's a revelation, is it not? Next verse. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. In other words, immediately, what is it being told? If it's not, my body is for him. And I'm in a sense somehow connected to him. And if I'm connected to him, I can't take then my body that's connected to him and engage in that, which is contrary to him. Because that's bringing him along to the situation, yes? What, know ye not that, that he which is joined to a harlot is one body for two, saith, shall be one flesh. So it's, it's continuing that concept. Verse 18. 
Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. How am I sinning against my own body? Because I'm taking my body and using for what it's not supposed to be for. I'm going against the manufacture instructions, right? Yes? Your car is made for specific things, right? We've talked about this in the past. When we Actually, I used this same illustration when we went through 1 Corinthians all of those years ago. My, my, what is that car designed for? What is your car designed for? To drive on a road, right? If you take your car right now and go up to Fort Phantom or to Kirby and drive it into the lake, you're going to destroy your car because you're using that for which it is not designed. So the argument is I'm sinning against my own body because I'm using it against the manufacturer's directions, right? And then what does it say? What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. That's a revelation. These are startling revelations about how we view the world and how we view our own selves. It's hard for me on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's hard on any day of the week to think, I am not my own. My body does not belong to me. I'm a temple of the... We always think of being a temple of God and like, ooh, I'm a temple of God. Like it somehow makes us like supernatural or we have special powers. No, what it means is that God is claiming what? Ownership. He's claiming... We always want to turn it into something like, well, I can do this and I can do this and I can do... No, it just means God's like moved in and going, this belongs to me. And guess what I'm going to ultimately do? I'm going to transform it, not now. I'm going to ultimately transform it and it will be with me. But it belongs to me. In fact, what's the next verse? You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. There's the revelation. So you see how the, the now you see how the texts work together? First Samuel is a, Story about a revelation and a response. First John is a story about a revelation and a response. First Corinthians is a story of a revelation. And the response is up to us. How do we respond to those revelations? You have to figure out how to respond to those revelations. And those, those responses to the revelation go in this direction. I should then respond differently to the world in which I live because I need to see it as being temporal, right? I need to respond differently to my body and realizing that my body is not my own. It has a purpose. And then I, my ultimate purpose then in my body and in my spirit should be to glorify God. Now, do what? And enjoy him forever, yeah. The text doesn't say that, but the same concept is there, right? And and now immediately, what should I feel? I don't know about you. I feel immediately like, oh boy, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Because what do I want to do? And I want to live for the temporal. I want to be pleased. I want my, I I want what I want, right? I don't, look, because if you think about it, 
immediately when you become a Christian, you, you may, and I know this is hard for us to comprehend, you may go, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for all of this. Right? I just wanted to be saved. But with what being saved comes with now having a new owner. He bought you. He owned you. Like, we may not like that language, but he owns us, right? We, we belong to him. And we, sometimes we, and we spend our entire life struggling with that concept every single day. Sometimes it's in small ways. Look, look, when I saw the temperature today, the last place I wanted to be was here. Okay. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to be anywhere. Okay. But here, because I had to go out in the cold. In fact, here in a minute, I'm going to have Eli start my car. Okay. Right. Because, you know, it's cold. I'm not getting in that car until it's been running for 45 minutes. Okay. Because it's cold. So me, what did I want? I mean, Eli's young. He, if he, you know, he can survive. I can't. Okay, I'm old. Okay, all right. But you get the point. That that's a small thing to do what we don't want to do, and we we do we not struggle with God's revelation? We struggle with God's revelation. Every time we open our Bible, we struggle with God's revelation. And what do we have a tendency to do if if something is revealed that we don't like? The word of God is opened and you see something you don't like. What do we have a tendency to do? Well, first we get mad. No, two, then we change it. We got to change it. We got to, because we got to make sure we, we're on the right side, right? We're always the right side. So we, we convince ourselves that our understanding is always the right understanding. And everyone else's understanding is the wrong understanding. Then we may get angry, especially if someone keeps telling us that we're wrong. Oh, we don't like that. Oh, we get really mad, right? And that's our pride, right? That's our pride, okay? And so that's, that's sometimes our responses. Or, and after a while, we just tend to start ignoring it. We just ignore it. We just kind of go do our own thing. And it's very difficult to know when that's happening, right? I mean, I think sometimes if we're honest, we can feel when it's happening, I mean, I, I think deep down we can, but when we convince, we're so good at convincing ourselves, well, no, 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 no. That can't be what it says. That, that can't be what it means. That can't be what it means. That can't be. It can't be. It can't be. And sometimes when people say, well, that can't be what it means, sometimes I want to ask them, it can't be what it means because you don't like it? Because... That we do that all the time. There's lots of things I don't like. Who, 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 who here with a show of hands says, I like that verse about loving my enemies? Okay, well, I don't. Oh, okay, I don't either. Turn the other cheek? I'm turning the other cheek to pick up a rock so that I can throw it at you after I turn back the other direction, right? Okay, right? Place others before yourself. Maybe if they're, you know, if someone's shooting at me, I may put them before me. Okay, not not in, in a normal situation. Oh, y'all looking all pious, like you're like, oh, I would always put others before me. Whatever. Okay, only even, but even when we put others before us, if we like them, we're typically doing so because we know that it will benefit us. Okay, what do I always say? I, I know this is not. People hate when I say this. From a theological perspective, what do I believe in regards about love? We love others because they love us, meaning that we truly only love ourselves. Come on, yeah. We say we love someone until what? 
still things don't go our way. And then we'll throw out words like, that's it, I'm done, I'm finished. Well, whoa, that was, <laughs> that was quick. Didn't go your way and you're done. Well, that, thank you so very much for that. Now, I'm not saying in every, I'm saying theologically, there's a lot of truth to that because theologically, we are selfish. Remember that the whole reason the church of Satan started was because Anton LaVey was like, stop pretending. Embrace with what you are. You're the God you worship. Stop pretending it's another God. We, we struggle with that. Revelation requires response. Our response is ra- rarely in accordance with the revelation. That's why God had to reveal himself in Jesus to save us from our bad responses <laughs> to his revelation, all right? Because do we not have a Bible full of people's bad responses to his revelation? Yes. It's, it's, it's a, the, the story is ultimately God had to reveal himself in the flesh to save those of us who are in the flesh because in the flesh, we don't respond to God's revelation very well because we are in the flesh and that flesh is sinful. Oh, I would like to be able to say, and, 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 and you, you can probably, for those who heard my first teaching through 1 Corinthians 6 in the past and the way I'm approaching it today, it's a lot of years in between those. And my approach is radically different because my approach then would have been like, glorify God in your body. If you don't, you're not saved. Because that was straight up lordship. What would be, what would be proof that you're saved? Glorify God in your body. Right? If you don't, it possibly proved you're saved. It's easy to preach that, right? Now, but then the longer you're saved, if you're even remotely still connected to reality, you're not like, you know, doing drugs and you're connected to reality. Someday you kind of realize, I kind of glorify myself like all the time. And I kind of live for myself and I kind of use my brain. Even if I'm not using my body, I may be using my brain for sexual immorality. I know that makes people uncomfortable, but it probably happens far more than anybody wants to admit, right? Okay. And even if it's not using your brain for sexual immorality, you may be using it for spiritual immorality because you may have idolatry and placing other things before God. So like immediately you're like, man, I'm a mess. Sometimes the best response we can give to God's revelation And I'll end with this. What do you think sometimes is the best response we can have to God's revelation? Woe is me. Isaiah, that wasn't Isaiah's response to God's revelation? Woe is me. I'm undone. Unclean lips. Unclean hands. Unclean thoughts. Everyone around me is unclean. Even my good works are nothing but filthy rags. Sometimes, I know people don't like that response. That's the best response I think you can have. Because that response will always drive you where? To Christ. It should. Should drive you to Christ. Now in the church, instead of it driving us to Christ, we're almost conditioned to, to drives us where? Out of the church. I can't stand when people say, well, oh, those people going to church are hypocrites. Those people in the church are sinners. Where else should they be? Where should a sinner be? 
should be in church, not out of church. Because we come and we look at a cross. Because that's what we need. The church is where, that's where we hear what we need, which is forgiveness. We need, a, we need a savior because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot keep God's law. God's revelation reveals that. Now, I'm not saying that excuses it. We still need to try to respond, but we, the, the whole thing is God's revelation reveals. And here's, here's the ultimate revelation God reveals. God, God's revelation, he may reveal creation, and that's amazing. He may reveal Jesus Christ. That's beyond amazing, right? He reveals in his word, Past, present, future, amazing, doctrinal truths. But the ultimately, the ultimate thing God's revelation always reveals is the reality of who we are. And what do we always say? Well, when I see God as he truly is, then I see myself as I truly am. You'll never see yourself as you truly are until you see he, him as he truly is. You will never see yourself. I, I can't, that's one of the things I hate about lordship salvation is lordship salvation destroys that because it tries to convince you of you being something you're not. But if you see him high and lifted up, you're not going to think you passed MacArthur's test. We've studied MacArthur's test too many times in this church or Jonathan Edwards' test. Wretched Radio has a test. All of them have their test. All the Lordship ones have their test. Nobody's going to pass. You won't even pass the test, the supposedly first John test. You're going to fail the first. How can you? And so then they, we, we, we read the test. What do they always do? Well, well you're not going to do it perfectly. Well, well, now you start modifying it. No, let the test be the test. And guess what the test says? You failed. And then what are we supposed to do? I, I, I do fail. What's my answer? Christ, who did not fail. So, revelation requires response. The, first, the main response is we admit our failure of that revelation. But 1 Corinthians does give us plenty to think about, about how we view the temporal and how we view our own bodies. I wish I could say that I've spent my Christian life allowing my body to be used for his glory but I've spent a good portion of my Christian life using my body for me, food. And it's amazing, it, it, it connected food and sexual immorality. Both are, oh, they're more than wants. They're biological needs, right? I mean, to say that they're not a need would be ridiculous. I mean, I mean, hopefully nobody here says food is just a want. Okay, we need to talk, okay? I don't know how you're pulling that off, okay? Because if you don't eat, you die. Maybe in physical relations, you won't die, but it, it does have, it has pro- profound psychological implications, right? There's pro- profound psychological implications of going without. Well, yeah, well, definitely it's a need to procreate. Okay, yeah, 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 right. But there's a physiological, emotional, I mean, there's so many aspects to it, right? I mean, put it this way, we are created to need that, right? To engage in that. I mean, that's just, we can't, we can't deny that, right? We can't deny, that's why we typically, most Christians argue celibacy is completely not natural, right? That would be great, would it be great if we could say, we don't need that? Because then we could dedicate ourselves completely to God. 
I just think it's interesting they put those two concepts together. Some people can't understand sexual immorality, but they can definitely understand food. Agreed? Some people love their food. Some people are like, no, you get between them and their food, you're going to lose a hand. You're like, calm calm down a little bit. All right. So, all right, let's stop right there. So today, the, the lectionary readings are about God's revelation and the response. That's my conclusion. If you disagree then, well, you can let me know after. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, we thank you for the lectionary, which provides us so much to consider, to think, and meditate on. I pray that we would give all the truths we've heard today great consideration. And Lord, you would help us perceive the truth of your revelation and what it reveals, but let us greatly consider the temporal versus the eternal. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,